0: Today, in this episode, I have with me a former U.S. naval officer, multi-industry CEO, systems entrepreneurs, and top podcast host who started the passion-struck movement to change human behavior by teaching the skills to live intentionally in service of something bigger than oneself. In this powerful episode, John Miles shares a part of his journey and transitions in his career and personal life. We talk about trauma and how we all deal differently with it, but how he hopes that there is more acceptance that mental health is as important or more than physical health, and to break the stigma around seeking for help to deal with PTSD. He shared with us the devastating numbers of suicides among veterans and non-veterans, and with the work that he does, he hopes that others with PTSD realize that they're not alone and they seek out for help. We also talk about what can make a transition easier, his process when confronting a change, his framework on how to take deliberate action to create continuous momentum and multiply your productivity, the importance of taking an I can attitude, the importance also of emotions for your well-being. He shared with us his weekly ritual that helps him move forward in his life with intention and attention. He shares two events that impacted greatly his life and started a process of re-examining his own life and healing his own traumatic experiences. He also tells us what is plaguing our society nowadays. We talk also about happiness and success and how he defines it and what he thinks is important to focus on, how to find your strength and superpowers. And he gives a starting point for that journey. We talk about leadership. What does passion struck means? If you want to start in this path of change, he also shares what is the first thing you need to do and also what is the most important choice you can make every day. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to get notifications when new episodes come out. And if you find it valuable, please share it. And leave us your best star rating in Apple Podcasts, where you can also leave us a review. So, are you ready for this amazing episode? Have you ever wondered what makes people capable of creating changes that impact their lives and the world around them? What is their way of thinking, their mentality, their patterns, their perceptions of the world, their reactions to different live events? What influences them? My name is Cristina Puyol, and I invite you to join me in this adventure where we will explore together the mind of change makers. Today, I have with me someone with a very long, impressive life curriculum. I will try to make a short summary, very short, so we can spend more time with him. He's a former naval officer, multi-industry and CEO, systems entrepreneur, top podcast host, and author helping people worldwide regain their passion. John R. Miles is one of the most watched, quoted, and follow elite performance coaches globally, and his leadership acumen spans more than two decades. He's founded or co-founded more than half a dozen successful startups, was a Fortune 50 CIO and CISO, advises rising entrepreneurs, and invests in socially impactful ventures. He's also the executive producer and host of the Passion Struck podcast, ranked in the top 0.1 0.1 percent of all podcasts globally, and is also a top education and health podcast. He wants to inspire millions to go from passion stuck to passion struck. He's also releasing almost a book this spring in 2022 that I'm really looking forward to. And actually, I was a guest in his podcast. That's how we met. And by getting to know a little bit more about him, I discovered that he he has gone really through a lot of changes and faced many challenges. So I really wanted to have him because he's a great change maker. So welcome, John. How are you?
1: I am doing great. And it's such a pleasure to be on your podcast. I can't wait to share my message with your audience. Thanks for having me.
0: I think it was great that you shared last time that we spoke that you actually were in Spain as a military, right?
1: Yes, I was, uh, my first duty station, um, once I got commissioned, was in Rota, Spain. And I got to live in the, the town next to it, uh, Porta de Santa Maria, for a few years, which I loved.
0: Yeah. How was how was that experience to be in Spain? I just would love to hear it from from someone that is not Spanish.
1: Well, you know, I wish... I could have done it when I was older and had more money because I would have made even more of it. But the thing that really impressed me, especially about Andalusia, uh, was just the human connection that I would see between the Spanish people. Um, and, it, you know, for those who, who live in Spain, I mean, they, re- they realize any of those towns um, are very populated during the summer and, and sparsely populated during the rest of the year. But um, when it was full on and I got to see all the families come together for those two or three months during the summer, it was just amazing to see how big the the families were and how interconnected they were to the rest of the community. It would be like you would go on the beach and it would be as if everyone on the beach knew each other. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. for an American, it's kind of... Uh, it was kind of unique because of the length of time that the sun is out um, in Spain, that you know, people would spend practically all day into eight, nine, ten o'clock at night uh on the beach, which you know is foreign to, to us here in America. Um, but I but I was lucky enough uh while I was there, I became good friends um with a number of Spaniards. And one of them, uh her family owned um one of the the leading uh sherry producers called osborne and so through that relationship which was really unique i got invited to a lot of their uh, get-togethers and so i got to see a completely different side of spain that i think a lot of my uh, peers got to see because of that but you know love to see the the parades and everything else that, that went along uh, during, uh, you know, Christian holidays, um etc So it was, it was re- really a wonderful time.
0: Uh, that's amazing that you got to meet this Osborne family. Osborne, we call it Osborne in Spanish. So that's a wonderful experience. I I, I have a lot of questions and things I would like to ask you, but um, to start from the beginning, a little bit, what made you go into something like being a, a naval officer? What what makes you make that choice?
1: You know, it was really a fundamental moment for me. I had grown up uh, with both parents, my grandparents, aunts, uncles, all going to the University of Michigan. And, you know, I was kind of brought up that, you know, that's where the family went. Uh, but my grandfather was an officer in the army during World War II, And then my father was in the Marine Corps, and he was in Korea, in the beginning stages of Vietnam. And so I had that that legacy um, behind them. And the more I I began to to think about uh, my life, you know, one of the things that had always fascinated me was um, leadership and how do people become great leaders and I, at an early age, um, had started a job at a local super supermarket and um, had achieved leadership, uh, different responsibilities. I was in charge of the produce department, the truck crew. And so, you know, I had an early taste of leadership and I wanted to get better at it. So when the choice came down to it, I just thought what better place than going to the Naval Academy if you really wanted to learn leadership acumen. And so, you know, that's what I do. I wasn't really encouraged by any of my uh, family members. In fact, my my father in some ways kind of tried to dissuade me. Um, um, but I mean, that's that's that kind of is what led me, plus, you know, the idea of giving back to, you know, the, the country. I know in some countries at the time I lived in Spain, there was conscription. Um, But, uh, you know, in the States, it's a completely voluntary thing. But I just thought education, the ability to serve my country, the ability to really push myself harder, probably through this experience than I'd ever been pushed before. um, So I could, could realize things that I felt I would never realize if I went to a civilian school.
0: And I did hear one time that it, it, it was interesting for me, Tony Robbins, uh, he went to speak to this uh, academy um, and he was saying how people, when they leave the military, their standards get lower. And basically he was saying what happens usually is the standards are the medium of the people that you have around. So if the standards around are lower. Those who leave the military usually lower their standards. How, how do you experience that when you came out of the academy and, and went into the normal world, whatever that is?
1: Well, I think you can go into different environments. Um, but I think ultimately it comes down to the individual. Um, if you are self-disciplined yourself and you have an idea of, of where you want to go in your life, I think you're going to continue having that uh, inside of you. I think for a lot of people, the military brings them up because they're part of a close-knit team. They have like-minded people who are around them that are pushing them to be the best version of themselves, especially if you're in special forces, um, because you're training with the best. You know, Everything that you're doing is a life or death mission. But I think what happens is a lot of people get away from the military and they lose that human connection that they had before. They lose that peer group who's pushing them to achieve, who's pushing them to get up early in the morning, um, et cetera. Luckily for me, I left the military because I had um, gone through the process of being selected uh, to join the FBI as a special agent. And unfortunately, my my class was canceled. And so I had to find a new job very quickly, because at that point I'm out of the military. um, And at at this point, FBI couldn't tell me when my class would get restated. So luckily I got a job with um, Booz Allen and Hamilton, who at the time had a commercial side that was very much similar to Bain or McKenzie. And then we had a government side where the vast majority of the people who worked there were prior military. And so my boss um when I got there was um a retired um three-star admiral who happened to have led um the National Security Security Agency, which is who I worked for in the military. And so for me being around the same type of people I had been with before was a great way to kind of start my career in the civilian world if that helps
0: makes sense so in a way it helps that you have like-minded people with a career that kind of had same path right if you have military people or ex-veterans so that's an amazing help because they can also help you to do a transition which I think it must be hard to to be in a war zone and then transition to peace zone how is how is that if you have lived, you know, a military career where you're really exposed to, to well, dangerous war areas.
1: It's a similar response. Different people react to it in different ways. Just as everyone looks at trauma differently, I, I kind of think of trauma as like a snowflake. Um, no two snowflakes are the same and no two traumas and the way that people experience it could be even the same trauma are going to be the same for each of you. I can tell you that what I think happens to a lot of veterans is, you know, you kind of go down one of two paths. Um, for me, my my combat trauma actually made it more difficult for me for many years to be around veterans because when you're in those groups, you know, before long you go into an American Legion or a or a VFW and they start talking about battle experience or. You know what you did in the service or something and for someone who's trying to suppress some of those traumatic thoughts, you know, it can be a trigger. The other extreme is I see a lot who kind of revolve their lives around trying to be around veterans, so they have a similar support system and people they can talk to so to me you kind of take one of those different extremes.
0: You know, as a side note, now you remind me that you know I'm a dance teacher. I used to teach in the U.S. in a VFW for many years. We rented a a space at the VFW, and I remember having um, these uh, old guys and and women actually with their hats and their all their you know (laughs) decorations. Um, Sometimes dancing, they were doing all these dances that I thought was hilarious. So, but it was they were really nice people that we met there at the VFW. Well, I've
1: now tried to get, I avoided VFWs and American legions for many years. And I've more recently been trying to get more involved because a lot of what was populating the VFWs is kind of the baby boomer generation. And many of them are struggling now, um, especially to get the younger, uh, military veterans and military members into them. So, you know, our one, um, that I belong to here in in Florida is one of the oldest ones in the country, but has had a mass drop off of people who are coming to it. So we're trying to redo it in a way that will attract more of the younger generation to come and we're opening it up more to the public um, so that they can participate as well.
0: Yeah, makes sense. And why do you think some people take one route or the other? What do you think makes the difference that some people can deal better with trauma, whatever that is, and others can't?
1: When I went through, and I'm hoping it has changed now, but there is a huge stigma um, against seeking help, especially if you were around special forces. And so because of that stigma and because of the security clearance that I personally held, Um, there was a huge risk that if you sought out treatment for post-traumatic stress disorder, that you might get your security clearance taken away. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, and I still think a lot of that stigma exists today, I kind of was taught to avoid talking about it, avoid seeking help for it and avoid even complaining about it to other people who were in the unit, um, Because it was seen as a weakness instead of being mentally strong. Um, What I'm hoping now is that there is more acceptance that mental health is just as important as physical health. In fact, I would rather have um, on deployment a person who might have some physical ailment rather than having someone who's not mentally present and mentally ready to fight. Because I can tell you, you know, you can get over a number of your physical ailments through mental strength, but your physical health isn't going to help you get over your mental demons. So I think that that plays a big role into it. And so I'm hoping now that the military is doing a better job of that. Um, Although, you know, a a very discerning um, statistic for me is the amount of veteran suicides that we have here in the United States. And, you know, if your audience isn't aware of it, um, you know, it's between 18 to 22 veterans a day take their lives and that's not counting active duty service members. So, you know, something I like to point out is during the entire war on terror, the United States lost in 20 years, you know, between 5,500 and 6,000 people killed in action during that time. If you look at the number of suicides that occurred during the same period and you then multiple, and then you add on the active duty members as well, it's a number somewhere between 145,000 to 180,000, depending on who you wow. ask. Yeah. Which tells me, you know, in some ways that people are not recovering from these combat situations that they're going through, which, you know, is part of the reason that I decided to do what I'm doing today, because I think the more you're willing to talk about it and, and help people realize that they're not alone, that that gives them hope and it it gives them, you know, a reason to seek out help.
0: Yeah, well, to another degree, is what happens also to people that have accomplished something big, and then they have to transition to something like um, people that do sports at a very high level. They have a short career. And then, who are you if you lose that? You know, it's a different type of uh, situation, but it also has that transition from something where you're amazing or that you're, or that you were, you know, in a very hard situation and then you have to switch. And you seem like you've done a lot of switches in your life. Like I I was reading your bias, like you've lived like 10 lives (laughs) consecutive, changing and making big changes. So, And I know every change has its own learning, but what can help you to make a transition easier after all that you've been through?
1: Well, I would say that some of my transitions were forced upon me and other transitions um, were of my picking. So the ones that were thrust upon me, meaning I didn't get into that FBI class or, you know, worse than that was I had just picked up uh, that I was gonna be part of the the partnership at Arthur Anderson. And I worked in Houston at the epicenter of the demise. Um, You know, and in a matter of weeks, I saw a multimillion dollar business collapse um, into barely a hundred thousand dollars worth of bookings. You know, and my whole career in consulting go up in smoke. So I think, you know, my advice in these situations is, you know, I think you're gonna go through this storming, norming, forming stage, but it's about having the ability to have resilience. And I think if anything, that's what the Naval Academy um, and my time in the military taught me was, you know, the need to have resilience and to be able to overcome adversity. And so it's okay if you're a listener out there and something happens, you get fired from a job, you know, something doesn't go as it's planned. You know, to me, I kind of just looked at it that, you know, this event was meant to happen. You know, I, for a short period of time, you know, I'll let myself feel the emotions about it because I think it's important for you to feel, you know, anger, depression, you know, misgivings, whatever it may be. But the important thing is to pick yourself up and not let that linger, and move on to the next thing. Because I've always thought, you know, when one door closes, it's because, you know, God is opening a better door for you. Um, and so far, you know, throughout my life, you know, that's kind of what's what's happened. And luckily, you know, I learned when I was at Anderson, a framework that I use um, called a, a deliberate action process that I use in everything that I do that I think also has allowed me to bounce back and to go on to even bigger and and better things. And, you know, the other thing I I would tell the audience is it is so easy to say I can't to life-changing opportunities. And I walked into so many things where, as I was reinventing myself or being asked to take on a new job, I could have easily said, I can't do this, I don't have the background to do it. But instead I kind of took an I can attitude. And even if I didn't have the expertise to do something like at Lowe's, I was asked to build um, a stage four data center. I had never created anything that large before. I didn't know how to build you know, a 200,000 square foot uh, facility uh, and outfit it to that point. But I, you know, I never doubted that I could figure it out. And so, you know, that's kind of what I did is, you know, I would take on the challenge and then I would do the research, have the conversations, gain the knowledge to be able to do it. You know, and I think one of the important things is to not be afraid to ask for help along along the way with it.
0: Yeah. and And that belief that you said is important to know that you will figure it out. To believe that you will figure it out. I think that's a very important thing too. And would you mind sharing what is that framework that you were saying that you had in order to take action?
1: Yes, it's um it's it's on our, our website. I call it the deliberate action process. But the way I came up with this is when you were trained at Accenture today or in the past, Arthur Anderson, we had a framework that we used on consulting engagements called Method One. And If you were going to be doing project work, you were sent to St. Charles outside of Chicago and they would teach you this framework and how to apply it. Now, this framework was designed to help with large ERP implementations or large scale systematic changes. And so for many of the clients that I was working on, whether it was doing, you know, information security consulting or high growth mid market consulting for startups or, or Small businesses it was way too heavy for them so I kind of took that methodology of my own and I pared it down into six steps that when you back them with agile and you use the two in conjunction it comes together and helping you continuously take deliberate actions and so you know the first step is you need to analyze I always say you've got to analyze the brutal reality of whatever the situation is that you're facing. So if you're in a business situation, that could be, you know, what is the situation you're walking into? What's the reality of the situation? If it's your life, you know, what's going on in your life? Are you truly taking a hard look at yourself and how you're living it? Um, from there, you then have to start prioritizing based on that analysis, the steps that you're going to take, and the most important things that you need to be working on. And it has to be a short list that's achievable, because the way you you end up wanting to do this is, is kind of in a two-week sprint uh, type of manner. So once you, you prioritize, which is where a lot of people get it wrong, uh, because prioritization is absolutely Key because that's what gives you your intentionality to execute on it. I then go into the next step, which is you have to ignite that inner willpower if it's inside of you or the team you're leading if it's in a business. So that ignition, you know, if I were in a business, it would be once I come up with the analysis and the prioritization, you really need to explain that to the people you're leading. So they understand, you know, why are we doing what we're doing? You know, hopefully you've brought them into the analysis phase. If not, you've been making a mistake because one of the biggest things I have found is that people don't often ask the people who they work with, what the problems actually are. And they try to guess it without understanding it from the standpoint of people who've been there, but you've really got to ignite that passion within them that they're going to actually do the work um, in the next step. And even in yourself, you know, you can come up with a new year's habit. Uh, You can come up with a new endeavor that you want to take on. You can say, I want to start waking up at 5 a.m. But if you don't ignite that inner core within you, you're, you're not going to carry that forward into the execution phase, which is next. So, you know, execution is just that. It's all about, you know, working day in and day out to execute what you've analyzed, prioritized, and then set yourself up to achieve. And then after execution, you then have to measure your results against the original prioritization that you were doing. And so this is where you you really have to take a brutal look at that and make sure that you're not sugarcoating the results. I mean, did you really achieve it? Did you not? Did you think you were going to get a different result than than you did? Um, and from there, you go into the renew phase, which is you go through the whole thing again, and you start building on where you're at from what you've accomplished in the in the previous phase, and then you just keep building and building on that over time. And whether it's been my personal life or the business opportunities I've been put in, this framework has worked for me time and time again along those six steps.
0: How so, cause in that framework, I also recognize my engineering mind. And I see people that apply, you know, similar ideas to work really well, but then when it comes to their own life, their personal life, they don't. How do you manage to get in that circle emotions? And, and how people feel so that they can really, you know, accomplish the same type of success, whatever that means for everybody in their own personal life.
1: Yeah, to me, that's where that Ignite phase plays such a big role because that's when your emotion really comes in. Um, but I'm a true true believer that you have to diversify your identity. You know, and you and I talked about this in the podcast uh, that we did But I think too many people go through life living on a stool that has one support. Mm -hmm. Um, If you want to look at that analogy, instead of living on a stool that has multiple supports. And so, you know, when you think about this in terms of this process, it's, it's not, you can't just be focused on your career. It's, you've got to look at relationship health. You got to look at physical health. You got to look at mental health, spiritual health, and emotional health. And to me, all those things really have to be going together and in unity if you're going to achieve elite performance in your own life. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, that whole emotional side of that plays um, a huge um, absolute role in this because if you're not emotionally at your best, the rest is going to fall over as well. Um, I mean, it will help to bring it up if you've got your physical health. Um if you've got your spiritual health, but you know your emotional role in your life plays a, a huge element to it. So it obviously is going to impact it, which is why, for me, that measurement and renew phase is so important because you need to celebrate what is going on correctly. And it's something that I do weekly every Friday in my journal. you know, I look at what can I celebrate this week? Um, What victories have I had? And then I, I always go into, you know, what could I have done better or what could I have put more ownership into? And I think that's a a great way to regulate it.
0: Which is, uh, I think is very important because you are spending time with yourself. You are, you know, getting a piece of time a week where it's about you evaluating you the way that you want to live your life. And I think a lot of people don't put that time in, you know, in a year, maybe, you know, people do it at the beginning of the year, maybe at the end of the year in the middle, but every week I think it's really valuable so that, you know, whether you're piloting the, 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 <laughs> the flight in the right direction or it's going off course. So I think that's a very valuable thing to, to do every week. And you've also gone through many experiences, challenging experiences. And one of them that you mentioned is how you walk into a robbery at your house and that was a change in your life. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience?
1: Yeah, I had really two unfortunate events that happened back to back within uh, literally a week of each other. Um, Part of my daily routine is, um, the first thing I try to focus on during the day is physical health. So I, I tend to go to the gym first thing in the morning. So I make sure I get that pillar out of the way. Uh, Because for me, when when I'm able to work out, it helps me, you know, with my anxiety, with other mental health aspects of my life. So, you know, the two kind of go hand in hand. Well, this day, um, I was going to the gym, as I always do, but unfortunately, um, they had an electrical fire in their air conditioning system, and so, you know, the, the... class I was going to was canceled. And so I went home outside of my typical pattern. And when I walked in, um I saw a pair of uh, workmen's boots um, on the ground leading up to my stair stairwell. And at that point, um in retrospect, I probably should have reacted differently. But at the time, I was renting, and I just thought it was probably the rental company coming in to do work because they had been there recently doing work. and um so, You know, as I was going up the stairs, I kind of announced myself, said I was in the house and I didn't get a response. And at that point, I probably should have reacted differently. (laughs) But I thought, well, you know, maybe the person is like me at the gym and they're wearing a headset or earphones in and they can't hear me because they're listening to music or something else. And so as I was rounding uh, the staircase, which had a a 90 degree uh, bend in it, there was a person uh, at the top of the stairs holding a gun pointed at me. Oh, wow. and, um, and at that point, um, you, you, know, you my military instincts took over and I immediately um, you know, got out of the house um, as a result. And then unfortunately, um, a few days later, I happened to be in New York, I had just landed. I was walking into a, a big uh, business meeting When my phone just started blowing up with texts and and phone calls, and I finally decided I was going to take one of them because it seemed like something wasn't right. And um, I learned that my best friend had jumped off uh, the Skyway Bridge and took his life, which was, you know, for me, really shocking because I had just seen him on Saturday and everything seemed perfectly fine. Um, so. You know, I think those those two things, um, you know, and like anything, I don't think it happened um, over overnight. You know, I don't think you feel the pain like right away. I think it it takes your system um, a little bit of time to process everything. But, you know, for me, because of that in-home robbery and the fact that it was an inside job, it happened to be someone from the rental company um, and they had scoped out my uh, my place before they went in you know, I felt very much um, uncomfortable being in my bedroom where they spent a lot of time stealing items. And so, you know, as a result, you know, I slept on my uh, couch, you know, with a, a firearm for, for you know, a number of months, got cameras throughout the house, everything else, you know, and then I think uh, my friend's death really showed me um, how fragile life is. And I think he was going through a very difficult time that he, you know, in hindsight, don't, didn't think that he could talk to us about what he was going through. And I think one of the biggest things that's plaguing society today is loneliness. And I think that that is what he was going through. And then a trigger set him off and he ended up taking his life. Um, but but through that, you know, I think both of those events um, in one way or another ended up um, opening up for me uh, a whole chapter of my life um, where I started to to completely reexamine, you know, where I was in life and what I wanted my legacy to be.
0: That's a, <clears throat> That's an impressive story. I can relate a lot to that. And to making a shift when something like that happens. And I know one of the things that you talk a lot in your podcast is to find your way, your passion, you call it your passion. You know, I see, for example, that most of the times we go from being in corporate world well to changing to another career. It never happens that an artist wants to be corporate. So I feel like we've created somehow a world that is hard on ourselves that we're all constructing and maintaining. And so how can we shift so that people don't have to go through hardships and things like this don't happen and people feel more connected? What are things that you think that we could help with from our different platforms so that people can find their passion and can start living their life from earlier and not have to go through hardship and, and even lose their life in the way?
1: Well, I'm gonna, I guess, start by answering it um in a little bit different way um my my podcast that releases tomorrow is all about how success doesn't come out doesn't come about without pain and hardship so i think you know it's very difficult to achieve success and happiness in your life without you going through pain and hardships to realize what that means and happiness comes on the other side of it because Happiness isn't about what you have. It's not about what you want. It's about what you have. But sometimes, as you talked about when we were discussing journaling, we don't do the introspective work to truly understand what we have um, and the gifts that we've been presented. So I think one of the biggest things that people are failing to do today is to live out what their superpowers are. And so one of the things I have tried to do is, you know, we all have weaknesses. And a lot of people tell you to double down on the weaknesses. Um, I'm more of the mindset that you double down on your strengths. And at least for me, where I can, I try to hire out the weaknesses. uh, Because I could spend a tremendous amount of time trying to get better at them. But I'm going to amplify my creativity even more by focusing on the things that I'm very good at. Um, and so as far as it comes from the the platform and what I'm trying to do with it is, um, as I, as I kind of went through this whole process, I went through years of self-analysis that along the way, I went through cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, and then because of the trauma that I had let sit there for so long, This um, physical assault kind of unearthed that to an extreme I had never felt before, to the point um, that I was feeling just like my emotional cup was full and I couldn't take on anything more. And so I ended up going through, you know, the 15 or so weeks of cognitive processing therapy and prolonged exposure therapy. And, you know, for me, it ended up being a huge release. Because I had these stuck points, you know, that were probably in my subconscious, but they're present all along that when I look at it now, it was really holding me back from being, you know, my most authentic self. And I think I came to the realization that a lot of the things I was doing in my career was I was chasing many of the things um, that I think a lot of society is chasing right now. We want the tangibles in life. You know, we want achievement. We want awards. We want recognition. We want the nice house, the great car, the Louis Vuitton bag, the, you know, the highfalutin clothes, the Rolex, the boat, the picture of us being on a private plane. And I think they're absolutely, positively the wrong things we should be focused on. What we really need to be focused on are the intangibles in life because the other things don't matter and we're not going to take them with us regardless. And when you start trying to orient your life like I had done for so many years around achievement and title and how much money I was making and how people perceived me and you know all that crap, you know, it's it leads you to the opposite of happiness and you end up getting to where I think a large portion of society is today, which they're feeling helpless. They're feeling lonely. They're feeling battered. They're feeling like they're an underdog in their own life. Um, and I think this is regardless of your rich or poor, your, your race, where you live. I don't think any of that really matters. I, I think we've got a growing portion of the population that is feeling disengaged with where the world is going. Their attention is being... Comp- Completely consumed by the digital age that's around us. You've got this huge rise in everything that we see about uh, materialistic things. And then on top of that, uh, ego is engulfing so many. And so, really, what I am trying to do is to create a platform where I can influence people at scale to break out of that societal matrix that is completely false that we find ourselves living in in, and start realizing that we can become our true authentic selves through the power of intentional living. Yeah. So for me, that's what I'm trying to do.
0: The intentional part is something that you talk a lot about being intentional with everything in your life and putting consciousness into what you do what you choose what you your actions and everything during the day and i totally agree with that now some people don't know what their strengths are So how can they figure out or learn? Because sometimes what is easy for us, we take for granted. We don't realize, we think it's not not valuable because it's very easy for us. So how can someone find their strength or figure out, you know, what are they good at?
1: So sometimes it's hard to separate your your work from what you think your core strengths are. Um, And for me, it kind of, it happened in a way where I realized I had a big passion for Writing And I had this really creative outlet where, you know, I had always written um, and I wrote a lot in my jobs, but they were typically things like I was writing a proposal for a major project, or I was writing a briefing for the CEO, or I was creating, you know, a, a statement or a thought piece for the board or creating a strategy document. But I always enjoyed the research and writing that went along with it, and then once you had that acumen, then speaking about it um, and and telling the world about it. But I didn't really apply those in a sense that I was capable of doing creative writing, or I could be an author of a book or something else, um, until I really started, you know, looking upon what do I enjoy doing? you know if if I had a limitless amount of money, you know, where would I choose to put my time? And I think that's a great way to think about it. If you could wake up any day and design your day, however you would like it to be, where where would you put your time? And I think that will help start to guide you to thinking about, you know, what that superpower is because they're usually tied together. You know, I think the other thing, That people can look at is oftentimes if you go back in your life to when you weren't feeling this pressure from society to be something that you're not and you weren't feeling the pressures of money of the social stigma of everything else principally when you were in your childhood what were the things you enjoyed the most doing you know you know because for me the whole artistic, creative side was something that I was way underutilizing when I was in the corporate world, but is probably one of the biggest superpowers I have. And so, you know, I've decided to to double down on it. And I think, you know, doing the podcast and getting to write the articles and everything else is a great way to do it. So those would be some of my pieces of advice. And the other, the last thing would be, and I think Jay Shetty um, um, does a great job when he describes this is... It's okay to go out there and to sample different things. if you don't know what interests you, pick a couple of days a month and experiment with something. Maybe you want to try something like the that's the rage here and where I live which is pickleball um, which is or what? dancing like pickleball <laughs> I've so heard it's, of it. so it's it's kind of like tennis across between tennis and ping pong um, mm. but it's played on a shortened uh, tennis court but it could be dancing it could be it could be starting to write articles it could be trying out public speaking i it, it could be whatever it is but if you if you try something out um, and experiment with it you're going to know pretty quickly whether it's something you you enjoy doing or not and if it's not your time commitment isn't that large
0: yeah i think it's also tim ferriss that he tries all kind of things you know for a 24 hour period or 48 hour period so just try Try the opposite of what you usually do. Try something that you never do and just experiment with that, you know, if it's safe and it's not harming anybody and it's not harming you. But I think he's one that that uh, talks a lot about that. And I think especially for younger people that haven't experienced so much, I think it's very important to experience. And even for people that have, if you've done the same thing for many years, it's good to explore something completely different. And uh, yeah. dan- dancing is a good thing, <laughs> as you know.
1: Well I think the the biggest starting point is you have got to figure out what your inner uniqueness is because we all have one and then I think you need to take a step back and figure out what is the problem that you're trying to to solve for the world or what are you being called to solve and that will typically then lead you to you know a one word statement of on the opposite side of that what you're trying to influence and once you have those things down then you can kind of walk into it with, you know, what inherent skills have I been given by God that will help me to achieve that? You know, I've been blessed with, I think, the whole initial phases of my life, I think, were a preparation to do what I'm doing now, because I learned how to be a consultant, I learned how to speak, I was taught how to write, you know, I, I learned how to build companies, I learned how to you know scale things um, and sometimes I think you've got to think about all the things you've been taught and how you can apply them in a different way
0: yeah that makes sense and and uh, sometimes you can also get feedback from the people that have worked with you that have been with you which can also tell you a little bit okay these are things that you really helped me with or the were strength that you really brought brought to the company or to whatever work that you were doing it might also help yeah.
1: Well, that's a great point. Um, In fact, I I totally forgot about that. But when I was thinking about um, launching Passion Struck, I actually went out to twelve peers who I had worked with over a period of twenty years, and I went to them separately, and I said to each one of them, "Would you be honest with me in telling me what you thought my strengths were and what you thought I was bad at?" And you know, amazingly, (laughs) answers. Even though there are only a couple I worked with multiple times, came back with a very clear collection of feedback, and it, it has very much coincided with what my strengths and weaknesses are. Um, that I once I did the work and started to really uh, focus on on understanding myself better, it, it unfolded that a lot of what they saw was re- really what was playing out internally inside me.
0: That's great. That's great. I think that's a great exercise to go out and, and do that. Even when you start like a new path to get that feedback from people that are around different people so that you get different perspectives, uh, because if they really know you, they're going to pinpoint to characteristics that can really help you to move forward and, and connect with your true self. Yeah. So that's really great. You did that. And you yeah. spoke initially that you started doing kind of leadership things as a kid already. And my question always is, is leadership something that you're born with, or can you learn to be a leader?
1: Honestly, I honestly think it's, it's a bit of both. I think some of us inherently have the wiring to lead, and it comes more natural to some. But there are many different ways that you can lead. Um, And I think that's, what's important to understand is even if you don't feel like what you're doing is a leader, you, you are a leader in so many aspects of your life, you know, in your own home, you're absolutely a leader to members of your family and your kids are looking to you as a leader. You know, if, even if you're, you know, I hate the word that we used to use in the business world, an individual contributor, because what is that really? But even that, I mean, your work ethic, the quality of what you're delivering, the way you present yourself um, in meetings when you come to them, all of that is is a form of leadership. Um, But then on top of that, you know, just like anything else in life, I think one of the biggest things that people need to understand is the human being is the ultimate learning machine. We were put on this earth to learn. And I think that, you know, we all have brain plasticity and the ability to, to learn. Um, and I, I believe that, you know, you can't look at a person's IQ, their intelligence level, and use that as any determination of how successful they're going to be. Yeah. You know, passion and perseverance and how you're intentional about using them is a much greater impact, I think, than any intellect you're going to have. And so then it all comes down to your pursuit of skill sets and we can all go out there and learn something new. I mean, I'm sure you're doing it with the podcast I had to, you know, I didn't know how to do a podcast. I didn't know how to do all the social um, media stuff and promotion that comes through it. But if you are dedicated to something and you have a passion for it, out of necessity, you're going to learn the skill sets to do it or you're going to suck at it. So, you know, I, I, you know, I would encourage everyone to understand that, you know, every day is an opportunity to improve your skill sets and to to learn and grow.
0: Totally agree. And uh, yeah, with the podcast, mine was launched in eight days. So I had to learn very quickly a lot of things. So, but it's a, it's a beautiful journey. Um, And in terms of defining what passion is, it's a word that is used so much, you know, live with passion. and But what does it mean for you, passion?
1: Well, I'm going to use it around the term passion struck. So for me, what that really means is you see these exemplars who are all around us, who are all around us, people who have achieved so much more than the typical person that, that we typically see. And as I started to analyze, you know, what differentiated someone like Steve Jobs over someone who was different or Elon Musk or someone else? And really, it comes down to three things. And I mentioned them earlier. I think it's passion, grit, and intentionality. And all three of those things working in concert with each other. So the concept of being passion struck is that you are so consumed with a mission-based focus to solve something that's out there, that's plaguing society, that you are driven to do whatever it takes to achieve it, whether that's facing financial peril, reputation peril, relationship peril. You're going to do whatever it takes to learn the skills that you need to do to seek out the help that you need to to achieve solving that problem. And if you look at the majority of the billionaires who are out there who started these large companies, it was because they were solving a problem that they felt needed solving. You know, for Airbnb it was, you know, how do you provide a different way to do lodging? For Uber, how do you provide a different way to do transportation? For Salesforce.com, the whole concept of cloud computing. You know, we've recently had a unicorn in the Tampa Bay area that's, you know, how do you become the on-ramp for cryptocurrency so that everyone can have it in their pocket? So I think you've got to start out by finding a problem that's worth solving and that's where you gain that passion. And to me being passion struck is just that overwhelming feeling that you have To go after it, and what I'm trying to do is to normalize it, because I think there are everyday heroes all among us. Um, We tend to gravitate to Iron Man and Captain America, and you know these Batman and these fixtures that we see, but I I think that there are everyday heroes who we need to recognize and we can emulate, who are living a passion-struck life, whether it's in service of a nonprofit or philanthropy, or a small business, or something else.
0: Yeah, I think anybody that does their work, whatever that is, with excitement, with willingness, getting up and doing it, whatever the job, even if it's cleaning, if they're happy doing that, I think that's contagious, and that's a message for doing the things that you like, because time is very short, so we should find that what which we like, and if we cannot do it as a job, as a profession, to earn the money, at least have that as a hobby or something on the side that goes along with you and maybe make it bigger.
1: Yeah, and I and I will tell you, I think that's a great learning lesson is I used to occupy like all my time with things that I thought were important. And these were like meetings. These were things around my career. These were going to social hours. These were trying to, you know, spend as much time as I could interacting with other people outside of work. So I could grow my, um, and scale my, my network and all these things. And I think as I have grown older, I, I look back and I, I say to myself, what the heck were you, you. <laughs> what the heck were you doing? You're prioritizing your time around, around all the wrong things, because the first opportunity you get, you should prioritize your time around yourself and being your best self, you know, and from there, the relationships and human connections that matter the most to you, and then all the other stuff. Because, you know, none of those other things are going to be there when you get sick, or when you need help, or when you need inspiration, or you're feeling down, you know, they're just these things we make up that aren't really the most important things for us to focus on.
0: You, you probably kind of said it already, but what is a change you want to see in the world?
1: I think one of the biggest changes that needs to be made are people are living in service of self instead of in service of others. And my biggest concern today is we have so many people who are self-absorbed in how they see the world that until we start opening our perspectives up to seeing the humanity that's in all of us, um we aren't going to face these immense problems that are right there out there being talked about on a daily basis that are going to impact the future generations to come and potentially our ability to in- inhabit this planet so if we don't start as a society changing how we're living which is really the backbone you know everything i am i am doing is all around How how can I do my part to help end human suffering and create more joy in the world and to teach people how to move away from being in service of self to being their authentic selves in service of something bigger than themselves. And when you start doing that, I can guarantee you that your level of fulfillment, And how you feel about yourself and the impact that you have is going to radically change.
0: I think that's a very beautiful message. Also, because it's going to impact even uh, your. just switching to that mindset will change how you feel. And that's going to radiate all along, you know, beside the fact that you will be doing something for somebody else. And I think a lot of people may think that this is not It doesn't concern me, you know, especially when it comes to bigger problems. But I think we all can do something. We all can help someone. And we're here to help someone else, not to just help ourselves. So that's a very beautiful message. And I don't want to take more of your time because I know we're going over the hour. But um, last thing is, I I just saw that you also do sailing, right? You also are a sailor.
1: Uh, I love to sail. I've been doing it since I was probably four or five years old
0: okay because i just saw that and i have to ask john because i also learned i actually learned sailing in the u.s in the most strange place which was colorado which doesn't have (laughs) any sea but they had a big lake and i thought it was hilarious coming from malaga where there's a lot of water and i learned in the u.s but i just had to ask you about that so well
1: you know luckily i i live in one of the best sailing areas in the world but i i grew up um with my dad teaching me in upper Michigan, and I learned to sail on butterfly and sunfish and eventually lasers. But um, you know, he particularly wanted to get me on the smaller sailboats because um he always had this, he he used to race the Mackinac Island race and other things, but he he always would tell me if if you've got it in you to be a great racer, the biggest thing that's going to hold you back is the fear of capsizing. And so even in early age, as soon as I could, he felt comfortable having me do so. he would just have me go out there and capsize the sailboat all day long, because, oh, wow. you know, especially if, if you're in one of those smaller sailboats, if you're ever afraid to capsize it, um, you're never going to take the risk that it takes to put that sailboat um to its peak performing level. And I think unknowingly, he taught me so many lessons in life that you learn from sailing along along the way. Um, there, there are so, so many things that you can learn from that sailing experience um, that I've taken with me. And I think the last thing I, I wanted to say, and it also it kind of goes back to the last thing we were talking about is, you know, if someone wants to make this change inside of them, and they they feel like they're one of the people I'm talking about. Um, you know, people often ask me, "You know, well, how do you start?" And fundamentally, it comes down to all you've got to do is make a choice. We make choices every day in every moment of our life. That is the one thing that differentiates us from any other inhabitant on this planet is we have the ability to make choices and where we lead our lives. And we make choices on autopilot all the time from where we go to get petro to you know how we do our shopping to the routes we take to work to other things. But when it comes to the most important choices that we have to make in life, we often also put those on autopilot. And I think the biggest choice that you can make is just taking one small step to become the person that you want to become. And it can be a small step. It could be, I'm going to try journaling or I'm gonna spend 20 minutes every day to read a book um, and to try to enrich my life. It it doesn't matter what, but once you make that choice and you get in the habit of doing it, I guarantee you it's gonna lead to another good habit which is gonna lead to another one. And before long, you're gonna keep stacking these things. And when you start stacking them, you're gonna start making better choices along that path. And before long, you'll look back three months later, especially if you use that deliberate action process, and you're gonna be like, how in the heck did I go from where I was to where I'm at now? And I will tell you that when you get to that next point, you're a fraction of where you're gonna be in the next three months and a fraction from there. And that's how you bring long lasting fulfillment and success into your life. It's all about the choices that you make and how you intentionally choose to pursue them.
0: And we are at the beginning of the year. So it's a great time to say this and and because this is when people start making all their commitments for the rest of the year. So I think this message is really important at this time, and I hope people listen to it because choices is what really, like you say, we do every day and it's what's shaping your life. So if we make deliberate, conscious choices, it's going to bring us closer to where we want. So I hope everybody took notes of everything that John has been saying. He has so much wisdom he's sharing with us. And I will make sure to put all the information in the notes, how to contact you, how to Follow You, your podcast, and uh, we're really looking forward to your book. So thank you so much for sharing this time with us. And I hope uh, we can keep on connecting and talking in the future.
1: Yes, Christine, thank you so much for having me on your show and for doing your part uh, that you're doing now to, to help other people achieve, you know, whatever elite means in their life.
0: Thank you.